So 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and um, we are coming back to primarily just verse 7. If you look at verse 7, it says, with the understanding of the noun, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And we've been talking about the word love here is not a romantic type of love, but it is a love that the Greeks called the agape love. It's the, it's the love of sacrifice. It's the love of putting another person before you. It's not a love directly of feeling, which is critical for us to understand because I've been asking in our previous studies, do you feel like you're in love? Do you feel like it? And the idea that I'm trying to draw out is that we operate in a world that really emphasizes feelings all the time. And whether it's in the songs or the TV shows, whatever, do you feel like you're in love? When God wants us primarily to act in love and have the right feelings follow. That's where he's trying to really emphasize to us this difference. And if you've got your sermon notes in front of you, remember, we always want to study things in context. And that is really where the weight of a message really comes. And I, I didn't put it up on the screen, but the, I wanted you to take out your sermon because I wanted you to see what the Apostle Paul is doing is trying to tell us the superiority of love. And remember, it's all built off of the last verse of chapter 12 where he says, and I show you a still a more excellent way. What was the excellent way that was going to be compared to? It was that you could be a superhero spiritually. You can be an apostle. You can be a prophet. You can be a teacher whether it's back in their time or even today, someone that serves in a great way, but the church was fighting and they weren't grasping the importance of being somebody that really understood that there's even a greater way to live and that is the superiority of love. And so you see on your notes, we've gone through that love is something that you need to pursue because its value is so great. That was the very first point. Love is superior in value to all other actions. And when you grasp this and when you get this, this is why I'm asking you to memorize the 15 verbal adjectives and constantly practice being patient, kind, not jealous, not bragging, not arrogant, not being rude, not seeking its own, not acting out of provocation, forgiving, not rejoicing in righteousness, but rejoicing in truth, bearing, believing, hoping, and enduring all things. That's why it is the greatest action. Paul went through a theological argument. And so you need to understand He's trying to show comparison to value. But now when we come to verses 4 to 7, the reason we've been spending so much time on this is because if I said that love is superior in description and we just quickly went through this in one quick, little, real fast, little easy sermon, then all of a sudden you might think, well, how's that different than any other word that I ever looked at? How is that different than any other word that I ever, I ever studied? This is a word that we've been showing you I can do one, two, three sermons on every expression about kindness, not being jealous, not being bragging, not being arrogant. Look, love is so important to God, and even the world understands this. The world recognizes the importance. So we, we just came out of one of the biggest holidays of the year, Valentine's Day, right? And the, everybody talks about love, 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 and they push it and they talk about you know, these great experiences. And I was listening on the radio. There was this comedian, and he was talking about love. And he was talking, and he was giving some jokes. And 
he was um, making a lot of funny points about love. And then he got, got serious. And he said, you know, one of the things that we know, there's been studies that if you go out and you hug somebody, that it really impacts not only the person you're hugging, but it impacts you as well. And then he made this point. I want you to make sure you all remember this. When you go out and you do this, make sure you're hugging people you know. See, you go into the mall and you start hugging people, and it's not going to come off good. See, he was a comedian, and he told a joke. Okay. So when we talk about love, the way we think, the way we speak, the way we act, and our sins of omission, everything is going to run through that grid. All right? And so I'll tell you this. This is going to end up in a joke, okay? It helps. It does help. But this, I thought, was very poignant because this deals with speech. And the reason I've been trying to give as many illustrations is because I'm really trying to get you to understand how important love is. And so I heard this illustration, and I thought this really works. And watch where this goes. Because this does get serious. So here's this illustration of, and Grant's not here, he's downstairs probably working, right? He's not downstairs. Because the idea of being, there was this young grocer. And this young grocer one day was working. And all of a sudden, a lady comes in to his store and says, I want a half of a head of lettuce. I'm making some type of, I'm making this meal. And the recipe calls for a half a head of lettuce. And he, he says, Miss, ma'am, we don't sell half a head of lettuce. She goes, I need a half a head of lettuce. Where do you sell it? All I'm finding is full head of lettuce. And she starts getting irate, and she gets upset. And she says, and, and, and the young man kept saying, ma'am, we just don't sell. I don't know anybody sells half a head of lettuce. And she just goes on and on and on. She gets angry, and then she finally says, I want to talk to your manager. I want to talk to the manager. And the guy he goes, well, here we're in the produce department. He's over there in the meat department. I'll go get him, and I'll talk to him about this. So he walks over to the meat department, and he goes to his boss, and he says, boss, there's this woman. There's this short, ugly woman. And he starts talking about some, you know, the clothes that she's wearing a little bit, and he says, she just wants a half a head of lettuce, and she won't relent. And she has to have this half a head of lettuce. And just then, the boss is like, uh, she's behind you. She followed you. And he turns around, and he says, oh, and this woman wants the other half. <laughs> this woman wants the other half, because he caught himself. Now, the reason... I thought this was a good illustration, and I thought it was comedic also, is what in that illustration, when we talk about speech and talk, did the young man have to describe the woman as being ugly? Did he have to describe the woman as being short? Short's being a problem, okay? All right? The reason I think we can laugh and we can identify with it is because often... Do not we find ourselves doing the exact same thing? Because what, why, did, why did he bring up that she was short? 
Why did he bring up the fact that she was ugly? That had nothing to do with the, the point. It had nothing to do with the story. But what it does is, remember, love doesn't take into account wrong suffered. Love doesn't take into account being provoked. And what it is is basically we're not supposed to be taking our own revenge, but it's a way for you to get a dig. That woman irritated him. That woman hurt him. And so basically, because he was doing his job, he wanted to do his job, but now he had to go all the way out. He had to, he had to try to figure out a problem he just didn't want to deal with. And so let me just re say, get, get, hey, got, boss, she was short. She was ugly, all right? How often do you tell stories when you recount something? This guy drove, wrote, wrote, drove me off the road. You should have seen the way this guy hit me. And he was green, or he was white. He was black. You should have seen what this Hispanic guy did to me. What's that have to do with the story? What's that have to do with the story? And I really think sometimes we look, we have people think, oh, we've got a racism problem in this country. We don't necessarily have a racism problem. We have a sin problem where people want to take their revenge, and they're looking at anything they can do to hurt the person. We want to hurt. We want to get back. And if it's the easiest, the lowest common denominator where we can pick out looks and things that are easy for us to cut on. And I wanted us to challenge ourselves and look at ourselves and start saying, what kind of language are we using when we tell stories? Because I hear people tell me stories all the time and they throw these little facts in that aren't needed. But I think it's what you're trying to do is you're trying to get at people. And love doesn't do that. So here we are as we're going through this you start thinking about the way you speak, and you look at these 15 verbal adjectives. Verse 4, love is patient, love is kind, not jealous, doesn't brag, is not arrogant. Love doesn't act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, is not provoked, doesn't take into account wrong suffered. Verse 6, doesn't rejoice in righteousness, re rejoices with the truth. It bears all things. Remember we said this means it covers up. It's a really interesting challenge because we're in a world that loves to gossip, tell stories. And now we come to this one, love believes all things. Now, what you have seen when we got to verse 7, a lot of people call this hyperbole, all right? The idea of all things. And this is where I said two weeks ago, when we really get challenged, this is where some of you make decisions. How much will I cover up? How much will I believe? How much will I hope? Because I know that people that are really close to me, my wife, my children, my close friends, I'll put up with more what I call all things. This is where sometimes I don't know where that line is crossed, where you say, I'm going to let a person walk. There are passages in Scripture where God says, like in 1 Corinthians 7, if you have a spouse that wants to leave, you let them leave. Wait, say, wait a second, God never wants divorce, right? God doesn't want divorce. Malachi makes that really clear, the book of Malachi from the Old Testament. But yet, at the same time, there's a situation where you say, I'm not going to bear, believe, hope, and endure all things. There's a line that's crossed. Sometimes this, these situations occur. How much do I go? And this is where you have to say to yourself, when I stand before God and I'm dealing with certain situations, and as we get into this text today, that you're going to say, this is, God, this is where I went. This is how far I went. This is how much I could endure. Because when you're dealing with believing all things, as you see on the screen there, 
It trusts, it encourages, and it's not cynical. But I tell you, there are people in your life that really push you, that you want to be cynical, that you want to say, I can't trust. All right? So let me, let me go through this because you're dealing with a person that often will have failed often in your life. They're a person that you want to keep trusting but that they're, they're going to come through, but they keep failing. How much do you put trust in them? The Greek word here is the Greek word pastua. You know, we believe for God to love the world, that whoever believes in him, it's the exact same word. And it's a present tense. So it's an ongoing action. So all things, all things. And, you know, we know nothing is impossible for God. And so can God turn around the, the drunk? Can God turn around the drug addict? Can God turn around the ongoing liar that you deal with? The un ongoing unfaithful person, the un ongoing unloving person, before you snap and say, I just don't believe God's going to change them. John MacArthur said this, love believes all things. Love is not suspicious or cynical. When it throws its mantle over a wrong, meaning where it bears things, it also believes the best outcome for the one who has done the wrong, that the wrong will be confessed and forgiven and loved and the loved one restored to righteousness. He goes on to say, love also believes all things in another way. If there's any doubt about a person's guilt or motivation, love will always opt for the most favorable possibility. If a loved one is accused of something wrong, love will consider him innocent until proven guilty. If he turns out to be guilty, love will give him credit for the best motive. Love trusts. Love has confidence. Love believes. Love challenges me to the nth degree here. Because I'll tell you, there have been people in my life, I've trusted, I've trusted, and they've continually failed. And maybe you've gone through that too. And this is where I, I sit and I wonder, how much will God sometimes really push me? How much do I go? And, and, and so when I go through this, what I want, thought it was like, what does this not mean? So number one is, I think when, when I'm going through this study, I thought, let's make sure that I, I, I try to um, properly understand this. And I've told you before, when you study things, it's, it's good to study. What does it mean? What does it not mean? So let's start with what does it not mean? Number one, you, you throw out prudence. And uh, I'll say it because I always love to say it. I should have named my daughter Prudence. I love that name. <laughs> Somebody named their daughter Prudence. Okay? All right? Because prudence is the ability to look at your actions and see the consequences. I love that concept. And the Bible talks about prudence, okay? We'll turn it back in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 23. Here, let me just, just see. And as we mentioned that, that we're turning to Proverbs 23. For those of you who are on Facebook, I've been started a couple days ago. I'm going to put a proverb a day explanation on it. So if you want to go there, maybe pass it on. You know, send it out. Maybe it'll be a good witnessing tool, maybe an encouraging tool for you yourself. So, but Proverbs 23, what did I get it right? Oh, excuse me, 22, 22, 3. 22, 3. It says, the prudent sees evil and hides himself, but the naive go on and are punished for it. I love that. That the idea of prudent person sees the evil and hides himself. When you're in a situation and all of a sudden there's something that is tempting or something that can get you into sin that you see it and you say, I'm going to remove myself. Now, we see this in the, 
in the, in the New Testament where God talks about fleeing, not giving yourself an opportunity. But the, to involve yourself in that sin. But the naive go on and are punished for it. They suffer the consequences. So what does this do when I say love believes all things? You can go back to 1 Corinthians now. The idea is, is, that, is that I think God doesn't want me to throw prudence out. God doesn't want me to say, look, you know, here I've got this unfaithful person. And, and I totally will just, for, you know, think that, um, you know, um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be aware of, 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 of their actions. I mean, if I had a uh, serial killer and he comes in and he says, oh, you got to believe me, just let me look after your little kid. You're like, like no, you know, I, I, I'll, and so I'm not going to throw out prudence. So there's going to be a sense where I am going to test words. I'm going to challenge it. But I want to build this theology together with you so as we go through this that you understand I, when, when I think God says believe all things, it's going to be all things believable, all things that God wants us to trust in. So I'm not going to throw out prudence. Number two, I'm not going to throw out an awareness of predators. And what do you mean by that? It's just there's a, there's a sense where I know that people aren't neutral. People are sinners. People do aggressively come after you. Proverbs chapter 7, you don't have to turn there, but Proverbs chapter 7 talks about a sexual predator. A sexual predator. And the idea is that this person doesn't stay just within their own relationship. They go after somebody. And there are people who do just that. And there are people who are setting you up for being a thief. There are people who are trying to pull you in to get you into their crimes. So you've got to recognize there are people who are trying to get you into sin. And so you just have to be discerning. You don't want to be ignoring the situation. Third, you throw out Bible truth. You don't want to throw out. The Bible over and over talks about God's word is truth. And, and someone can come to you and say something that's totally contrary to the Bible, but you are not to you are not to just accept what they say without testing it and running through the Word of God. John chapter eight tells us that this world is filled with liars. Satan is a liar, and so we want to be cognizant of that, which is another point why you know people often will say you know. Um, I had a spirit come to me. You know, and this is where we deal with the charismatic people, and I, where they got a voice that's talking to them. You know, God's given us His completed Word. We don't need spirits coming and talking to us. We need the Word of God because those demons are liars. All right. And then fourth, you throw out what you see. God, you know, if if, if and. You're out in the situation, and somebody was totally drunk. And I don't know if you've ever dealt with somebody that's been totally drunk, where you say, "Are you? Have you been drinking?" And they're like, they're falling over. You say, "They say no." You say, "I don't think you can drive home." Oh, I can drive home. Well, I see that you're incapacitated, and I'm not going to just take your words. And if they would come back and say, "Well, love believes all things," aren't you going to love me? Well, I'm not going to throw out what I see. I see that you're not in a good situation. If I walk into my house and there's somebody carrying out my TV 
and I don't know this person, and I say, hey, what are you doing? And they say, well, we're just rearranging your furniture. It's like, no, I, you're stealing. I see what, you know, I, I know what I see. Now, I, those are extremes, but you, I'm trying to get you to understand because when I look at 1 Corinthians 13 and I go to verse 7, I'm really challenged. And I want to be able to understand how far I go because I know I'm going to have to answer to God with bearing and believing and hoping and enduring all things. So what does it, what does it mean? I think you're going to give trust unless proven otherwise. And I think one of the best examples like, is a situation in the book, Bible, in the book of Job. If you're unfamiliar, Job was a righteous man. He was a really good guy. And God allowed Satan to bring all this destruction on his life. And he has three friends to come and blame him. Job, this is all happening to you because you've done bad. You reap what you sow. There's this principle. You must have done bad. But they didn't recognize there was a principle that sometimes God allows trials in believers' lives. That God is trying to put a demonstration on with Job and his righteousness. But every time Job said... I'm innocent. There are three cycles in the book of Job. They came back harder and harder so that they kept accusing him. No, Job, you're the one who brought this on yourself. Job kept saying, no, you're wrong. Well, they were wrong. So there is a sense of giving trust unless proven otherwise. There is also the idea of encouraging the person. There's a sense where you come alongside and you say, look, I I know that you failed. I believe you can do it again. I think you can do this. Now, it might mean that I don't give you my car, and it might mean that I don't give you an opportunity to um, you know, handle the cash in a house or something, but I'm going to try to encourage you in other ways. I think there's a sense where I believe God can work in you, but at the same time, I'm going to bring up certain restrictions. All right? And then third... I think one of the things that we all have to recognize is that you don't want to be openly cynical. Look, you know, I don't trust you. You're a failure. You failed me before. Now, it's totally different. I mean, it's not – when I say I go with eyes wide open, there's a sense where sometimes I'll say, look, I can't let you do this because of your past and what you've done. Okay? So I remember a couple of years ago, almost 20 Life goes by pretty fast. Um, there was a woman that I was dealing with, and her son was was a drug addict. And she learned, well, the whole family learned, if they lent her son a car, he stole it, and he sold it for drugs. Well, came, come to find out, you know, that you could never let him have a car. So if you want to say, I, I don't want to be openly cynical. You would say to him, look, look, look I, I know that you need a ride. I know you need to get somewhere. I'll either today drive you or I'll get you an Uber. But I'm not going to keep coming back and I'm going to throw out, you know, that I doubt you can ever get your life turned around. Now, I, I might come back and say, you know, I don't think that I can trust you here in this situation, which is part of the challenge because saying that when it says love believes all things, but it. Sometimes I think that's where the tr this push comes in, this, this trial comes in for how far do I go. But again, I don't want to at least be mean in my denial when I do bring up restrictions. And then fourth, I want to refer to Bible promises. I think one of the things that I may not 
let you have my car or let you have full reign of my house or watch my little kid or something like that. But I want to say to them at the same time, I think that God can change you. I believe the Bible says that anyone that comes to the Lord can be saved. Okay, so I want to I might turn my 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 belief just on the promises of God and give that to a person. And so that's where I'll keep encouraging them. Look, you know, I think that God can change you. I think if you repent, I think God offers salvation to you if you'll turn your life to him. I believe that you can be sanctified. I mean, I want to bring up those promises. So that's what I want you to do. I think that when you deal with somebody, and maybe some of the people that you've dealt with are liars. And I wrote some of these notes as, you know, I don't think you want to call a person a liar unless you openly and clearly know for certain, okay? Which sometimes you have to say, look, you've lied in the past, and this is, I'm having a hard time dealing with you right now because right now I don't have verification. I don't think it's wrong to ask a person who's a regular liar, I need verification because they, this is what they, they, have, they have dug for themselves a hole. So I want to verify but I believe if you turn your life around, you'll be a truth teller someday. So you might have to wait. You might try in some instances to give the benefit of the doubt. But every one of these situations are going to be different in how you're going to have to handle it. And, and like I said, this is where it's a real challenge, isn't it? Because when I say, hey, God believes all things, you know, the idea here is that you're going to be a situation when, not God, when I'm the one. Remember. I'm the one that's practicing agape love. I'm the one that's going to be in a situation where I'm going to say to somebody, okay, I'm going to believe God can work in your life. And it's not going to be the easy person. It's going to be the person that has pushed you, not week after week, not month after month, not year after year, sometimes decade after decade. I've lived long enough with this Christianity that you know, some people two, three, four decades that they have been waiting for somebody to turn their life around. Well, I believe up until the last breath that God can change a person. And so that's what I'm going to do. I may not give them some of the same privileges in my life that I would if I trusted them fully, but I am going to continue to encourage them and try not to be cynical. But I do want to be clear because remember, open rebuke is better than hidden love, Proverbs says. And that's why I want to bring all of my theology in. I think this... Of all of these 15 attributes, for me, this one is the hardest. And I don't know where you're at in all those other 15. But I'm just telling you, I want to be someone that really thinks this through and encourages people. Because I deal often with difficult people. Maybe you do as well. And there are some people that, some of you guys are in relationships. They push you to the nth degree. How much are you going to believe? Present tense, ongoing. All things that are believable, that God can work in them. So I think there's a sense bottom line is that what you're saying here is how much am I dealing with the person? What am I going to believe with the person? And how much am I going to believe that God can work in their life? Bring both of those together. Be conscious of the situation. And I think you'll really put this into practice. And I hope when you stand before God that if you've been able to go further with a person than anyone else can, it's to your praise. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that when we were lost and we were sinners, that you were patient with us and you gave us grace.
and you saved us. This is a challenge, God. And even reading all the commentaries this week, where it was so hard to see people define how much do we really believe when we deal with difficult people, liars, people who continually fail us. When everything in our speech wants to come back and yell at them and call them the names that they are. Help us, God, to be different. For the world doesn't love the people that fail them in the same way that we can. Help us to love them with truth so that people can turn. And perhaps there's somebody here today that has looked at their life and, and, and they've seen how people have loved them, how people have been faithful in their life. And they recognize it's not just the people, it's been God's hand upon them. And maybe they'll recognize, wow, you've believed in me because God has caused you to love me. And God's love is so great, and I want that love in my life. How I pray that someone will turn to that love. The love that died for the enemy. A person that God decried as one who was in total opposition to him. And yet, God loved. In Jesus' name.